HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, November 1st, 2023, and this is our 370th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a wonderful culinary entrepreneur based in New York City who has a new book out, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solid dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to cook with love. And yes, perhaps this is my most important tip to date. So it's one thing to buy the right ingredients and follow a recipe correctly when cooking, but really the essence of every and any dish is what you, yourself, put into it. That means cooking with care and passion that is beyond nicely cutting your mirepoix and adding the right amount of seasoning. It means cooking from the heart. So let's put love into every dish, as trust me, others will taste the difference. That's my tip today. Okay, so I'm super excited to have my guest joining me. It is Barca Cardoz. She is a culinary entrepreneur who is the founder of Cardoz Legacy LLC and the co-creator of FC Plus B&B Masalas, as well as the co-founder of the Young Scientist Foundation. Born in Mumbai and raised in Bhopal, Barca first stepped into the hospitality world in Mumbai at the Institute of Hotel Management, where she received her culinary training and met her husband, the late and great renowned chef, Floyd Cardoz. In the 2010s, Barca worked alongside Floyd at their beloved restaurant, Pawala, which later became the Bombay Bread Bar, supervising operations and supply. 
In 2020, she launched a collection of masalas in partnership with Burlap and Barrel and in honor of Floyd's legacy. They are in every way an extension of her kitchen. She has a new book out called With Love and Masalas, Everyday Indian Recipes from My Kitchen to Yours. Without further ado, hi, Barka. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. I know we talked about doing this for a little bit now, so I'm glad we're making it happen. And I always start out with my guests and find out a little more about their background and how they got into this industry. So do you want to take us back a bit? Like what led you to have some culinary training? And um, did you think at the time you, you wanted to pursue a career as a chef? Um, I will actually go back to when I was in my teens. Um, okay. I was nicknamed the cat in the house because I love to eat fish. And uh, everybody at home would tease me because it was like whether we were going, you know, the fishmonger, the lady would come to the house to sell you fish. Or if she put out, she'd have these little um, containers in which they'd have fresh fish and they'd sit by the development, you know, gates and sell you fresh fish, clean it. And um, I would love to go there every day and just buy fresh fish with our cook. And then I'd stand in the kitchen on a little step stool when I was younger and just watch them cook. And I think, uh, like with most people that sit in this business, you know, it's, it's that love of food and family and watching generations of either your, your moms, your grandmothers, or, you know, for us in India, a lot of us at that point had cooks in the house watching them cook. It was just my, I think it was more my love for eating. And uh, although I was distracted a bit from that, because, you know, being this, being an Indian growing up in India, at that point, it was all like, what's your career going to be? And it was like, oh, I want to be a doctor. And I'm so glad I didn't pass that entrance exam to get into (laughs) medicine. And so it was like, what do you do next? And I'm like, I just want to, it, it, it was always so fascinating to watch food and watch restaurants and watch hotels because for us in the 70s and 80s, it wasn't independent restaurants that you, you know, went to you more, you went, if you entertained or you went out for a meal, it was more at one of the big hotels. And just that whole atmosphere just was so fascinating to me. And so I think that's what led me to going to to actually get an education in it. Well, that makes sense. And so while you were there um, at the school, you met Floyd. Was do you want to talk a little bit about that? Was it love at first sight? No, <laughs> it was friendship. <laughs> it was absolutely friendship. Uh, Floyd lived in India, in, in, in Bandra, in Mumbai, and I um, grew up in Bhopal. So when I came to do, you know, the culinary training in Mumbai, I lived on campus and he would always be around. He was um, one of those guys that came in after doing um, an undergrad. So he was four years older than me, um, was in class with me and 
there was just something about him. He's a very quiet and deep person, not very many words, but just intense with just the way he was. He knew from the day he arrived that what, like he wanted to do this in more ways than all of us at, you know, 17 and 18 were looking at it. We were just looking at it as a way and a means to get to a, a job in a hotel. But for him, it was more of like, he wanted to take the food that he was being trained to make, the French food, the techniques, and make it more flavorful in his words. And so he he was a very 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 focused and disciplined and you know just watching that was such a fascination and he was one of the kindest sweetest people you could ever meet so I think the first attraction to him was this guy so amazing and we just had this great friendship we shared you know class notes I had better handwriting than him so he'd always like borrow my books and stuff like that and that's where we met and it was just this first really really tight friendship that we started when I was all of 17 and he was 21 yeah wow yeah well having met him in New York and I know what a sweet amazing person he was and I could see I could see you becoming friends and it turning into more which it did um at some point (laughs) um and when did you all decide to move to New York? So it was just so ironic because when we were in cooking school, um, we do, you know, like you you do theory classes and then you'd go into the kitchens and you'd learn how to cook and you'd learn techniques. And uh, we would work together close by. We'd have the same, you know, schedule for classes and he would always laugh and say that, you know, one of these days I'm going to take this French food and I'm going to add flavor to it. And I'd always look at him, roll my eyes and say, yeah, fool, whatever. And I'd say, when you do that, make sure I'm around you. I want to see you do that. And he's like, yeah, 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 we'll do it. And then, you know, life happened. He went to Switzerland to study more. I started working. I did stuff. And then I came in 1988, in August, um, to the States to visit my sister who was living here. And just by chance, some friend, a common friend mentioned that there was another Indian friend of hers that was from culinary school. And I'm like, oh, the person's Indian. Yeah, like, I was like, we're going to know who the person is. And she turned around and says, Floyd. And I go, Floyd Cardoz. And she goes, see, you know him. And um, he had come here. Um, after Switzerland um, for his brother's wedding. And then, you know, he got a job here and he stayed on. So we just happened to meet by chance in the States. It wasn't something that we came together with the intention. I just happened to meet him. I just threw someone else and I'm like, yeah, you know, all the Indians that come in. You know what she did? She knew me and she knew him and she connected us. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Obviously, I didn't know that's how. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was just crazy. It was meant to be. It was just yeah, meant to be. Yeah, it was really meant to be. Um, yeah. That's beautiful. So you're then, so, so at some point you, you get married. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did. We dated for a couple of years. We got married and uh, 
it was just one of those spaces where it's so strange how you come here as immigrants and the common denomination becomes, you know, what you're comfortable with. And what we were comfortable with was um, our upbringings. They were so similar, even though we were different, you know, religions lived in different parts of India, but your basic commonalities of understanding one another and so we stuck to one another and the fact that we had this amazing friendship that you didn't have to you didn't have to start out trying to prove yourself to the other person this was a friendship that had been you know in place for almost like eight years before that and so we we literally like started dating and within a month of us starting dating he said like will you marry me and I'm like uh, that's so soon. And he goes, no, what else do you want to know about me? And I'm like, <laughs> well, we've, you know, I can ask my parents your permission. And we did that. My parents loved him and rightfully so. He was just this amazing human being. And so, yeah, we got married. We got married within like two years of actually officially starting to date. Yeah. Uh, so amazing. Yeah. So, and I mean, talk a little about then your role with working or supporting Floyd as he worked his way through restaurants in New York City from, I know he was at Les Bienas, and then he joined USHG and opened Tabla, which was a huge deal. And people still, and will always talk about that restaurant and how it pretty much changed the New York City landscape of restaurants. We, so. uh, when we got married, you know, we both, um, I, I think we were so naive, um, didn't understand the intensity of what we were, you know, what the hospitality business was about. And we would juggle jobs where he was working at an Indian restaurant at that point uh, called Raga which was Midtown. It was this amazing restaurant uh, that was opened by the Taj Group of Hotels here in New York. And I did other jobs. I, I worked in the Garment Center in the city. And then on the weekends, I'd work, you know, as a host at a local Indian restaurant in Queens. And we realized that we were literally like two people just passing one another in the house because our days off were different and it was just chaotic. And I think that's when when we said that we wanted to have kids and we wanted to have a family together, we decided that he was going to go out and continue with the hospitality business and industry. And I um, chose to get jobs that were more regular nine to five, Monday through Friday, so that I would be around to you know, take care of the home and raise kids. And we knew that that was very important to us, that, you know, family and being there for one another was important. And so that's how we started out with this, with this pact that we made that whatever he did or I did, it was for us as a family, for the two of us as a couple. And it didn't matter who was the face of whatever was happening. The other one, you know, would stand back and support. And so that's that's the role I played. I was the support system that, you know, starting from 
him getting that job off of or Las Pinas uh, from Chef Kunz. And he was like, you know, but I'm going to start as a line cook and I'm going to make no money. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm making enough money. We'll pay our bills. We'll be fine. And so it was always this partnership that we we've forged forward that kind of just, you know, it, it just morphed into different things, but it was always this us partnership that we did. And someone gives a little bit more, someone plays a different part, but the priority was that our family unit had to stay together. And so I helped at, um, you know, Tabla when his assistant had mit- went on maternity leave, um, I stepped in, I helped there. Um, at different parts of his life, he did events, we'd go, I'd help out with the events because I missed that part of life. You know, hospitality business is just such a, such a intense high that you get from doing what you do with that love for food, for people that I missed it. And so I would participate with him with whatever he did when I could. And then when we opened, you know, Pawala and Bombay Bread Bar, I got my chance to then say the kids are grown up. They don't need us like that. And I started helping out with operations, with purchasing, and then, you know, doing the HR. And then eventually I started helping on the floor in the front of the house. And so that's how we evolved every time there was something new that he was doing and how I could fit in because it was always us. Yeah, well, my experience is going to your restaurants, having Floyd's Cuisine and and knowing him um, have is such amazing memory and, and wonderful, wonderful um, thoughts um, and experiences that I had. And um, I, it's, it's hard. I know it's hard to, at least I know it's hard to talk about, but his passing um, that happened at the beginning of COVID in 2020, um, I know it shook up the whole industry because he was so beloved by everyone. Um, and I can only imagine what that was like for you and your kids and, and even still till today. Um, how, I mean, I mean, how did you manage to get through? Um, It was such an upside down time in our lives, right? It was just the entire space of he was here 10 days ago and he, it, it just like moved so fast to the point that you couldn't even catch your breath from one day to the next because it just kept changing. And the helplessness and the frustration of not even knowing what was going on because you couldn't get enough information. The hospitals couldn't give you any information. They weren't, um, it was just chaos. It was just chaos. And in all of it, I think what held my sons and me together was knowing that we had such an amazing relationship with Floyd, uh, the three of us. It was like my son, my oldest son aptly put it a couple of days after he passed. And he says, I can't lean into anger or, or 
you know, just that that feeling of like my whole world is gone. He said, my world is gone, but what I know is that I had the best dad in the world. And for all the years of me being alive, there was never a day where I lacked his love because he showed me, he said the words, and he was always present. And so I'm going to lean into gratitude that he was our dad, he was ours, and he was present. And I think that, you know, kind of makes you realize that we could spend time together with anybody, whether it's for a day or 10 years or 50 years. But if you're not present with one another and you're not in the moment, it doesn't mean anything. It's just numbers. And I think that taught me, along with the amount of support and love that came my way, Sherry, I didn't even know where it came from. It was people that knew him, that knew of him, that loved him, that had experienced him, that just showed up in different ways. In And I think every day you woke up with one more person just reminding you of what we had, what we were blessed with, what we were graced with, with so many years. Um, and I think we just held on to that and the love that we all shared. And we just took, like I, I always say, we took like these small baby steps from that tunnel of darkness into light. And each one of us, you know, had no had no timeline for it. We still don't have a timeline for it. There's still days when you sit and you walk back. But I think that's what helped us. It's just that love that we had as a family and the amount of support and and just kindness that was showered on us. Yes. Everything you just said was so beautiful, um, really touching and um, special. And I was going to share with you just um, this my the last time I saw Floyd, it was it was it was spun not spontaneous. It was unexpected for me. Um, I went to Hudson Yards to check out the new Esteria Milos, and I was by uh-huh. myself. And I was sitting. I got. I didn't have a reservation. I was sitting at the the lower level of the restaurant, but the bar, the end of the bar, and I'm like ordering yeah. my food, and Floyd popped up next to me like standing there and I was sort of like oh hi like what are you doing here (laughs) (laughs) and he's like I'm I I work I work with Milos I'm like culinary advisor director I forget the exact title but he's like I'm work I work with the group um and I was like oh my god amazing and then we of course chatted and um it was just really, it was really, it was like a special moment that I had with him that was unexpected. And I think about it all the time because um, he, he's a, he's, he, you know, he was a, just a light. And um, the fact that I just had these little moments and memories with him are very special for me. Oh, that's so sweet. That's yes. Oh, and he must've been like, he loved when people walked in that he knew. It was just like, you'd always say he's, like in in the in the big scheme of things, there are so many restaurants in the city, and if someone walks into my space, 
for me, it's like, you know, someone's walked into my home. And so I can only imagine him knowing that he knew you and you were sitting there and he got this chance with you. It must have been so special for him as well. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. It was, yeah, no, he was, I mean, as I said, such a special person. I'm glad I had him in my life a bit as well. And um, yeah, I feel, so let's talk about everything you've been doing now. I mean, you've, you, I'm sort of amazed at everything you've accomplished and what all the work you've been doing um, over the past couple of years with establishing the Cardo's legacy and your partnership with Burlap and Barrel with the Floyd Cardo's Masalas. Um, So talk a bit about all that, everything you've been doing, because it's amazing, really amazing. Thank you for saying that. You know, Sherry, I I sometimes sit and I wonder how how all this happened and where it came from because Ethan Frisch from Burlap and Barrel, um, he Floyd, he and I were working on you know just putting spice blends down together. We had started working together in 2019. Ethan at some point worked at Tabla with Floyd. And so there was that commonality. And then when he started to get into this business, um, he would always reach out Floyd and he kept in touch over the years. And he had reached out to Floyd with, you know, he he had human from Afghanistan and he wanted Floyd to try all of this. And I remember Floyd coming home one day and saying, I think I found the right person for you because I we had started blending our own spices at home to help me with meal preps and getting meals ready when the kids were little and when Floyd worked and I worked. And so I'd always used to joke with Floyd and said, you know, you at 21 knew exactly where you were going in life. I still don't know who I want to be when I'm a grown up. And what am I going to do when the kids are away and they're done with, you know, with living with us in college and you're still going to have what you do and what am I going to do? And so that was his thing of, I will help you set, you know, we'll start with blend with the masalas that we used to make at home for our everyday cooking. And then it's yours. You're going to run with that. And I'm like, okay. And so we started working with Ethan and then life happened. Floyd passed away. Apparently, I texted Ethan a few days after Floyd passed to say, is this still on or is it is it gone with Floyd? Um, something to that effect. And Ethan, like, it, it will be what you want it to be. If you want to do it, we're happy to do it with you. And I'm so grateful that he trusted um, his love for Floyd, you know, trusted me with with the fact that I would probably be able to do this as well. And so we started out with three blends and we went upstate uh, to their co-packer and blended. And at that point, there was such chaos around us that we couldn't get machines to, you know, do the hand, to do the blending of the, of the masalas. And we literally stood there and we hand blended them, all of 200 pounds each. And every time we would do something, Ethan would say, well, what do you think about this? And I'd look at him like, why are you asking me? And he goes, well, they're your masalas, right? Aren't you going to test them? And I'm like, 
Floyd's supposed to do this. Floyd's supposed to give me the final okay. I don't know if what I'm doing is right. And I just had to dig deep within me and find that space to do it. And I found it because I felt Floyd's presence there with us. And it's so uncanny to say that. And some people feel, but he was there. He was there. And I feel his presence every step of the way was what gave me all that energy, all that confidence to do everything that we've done. Because like I said before, all I knew was us. And I didn't know how to move forward if there wasn't an us. And so the only way I was going to do the us was doing all these things that we were supposed to do together, that we had planned to do together. And so that is where Cardo's legacy comes from. That's where the masalas come from. That's where everything I do when I wake up in the morning comes from because it's I'm driving the car, but he's still there in the passenger seat with me now. and. He gives me that space. He gives me that motivation to just keep moving forward. Small steps. Every day I wake up and I'm like, just hold my hand through today and I'll get to the end of the day and do something good for today. Wow. I love that. Um, And I had ordered your three pack of masalas back when I guess when it launched in the beginning in 2020 and that, and now I have your, your six pack. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, I think it's wonderful that you, you have created these masalas that um, people can use for cooking and, um, and, and that you have this new book out uh, with love and masalas, everyday Indian recipes from my kitchen to yours. And you're showing people how to use them and, and uh, you know, different ways that they can use your different masalas um, in flavoring or cooking. And um, I just think like that is really, it's special for so many reasons, but I think in Indian cuisine can be still to this day intimidating for some people to think they can cook at home um, if, if it's not, you know, from, from their culture. Um, so, I love that you're bringing you've you've created this line and that you now have this book that um, really shows people the way. <laughs> so that was the intention because um, I get it. You know, I mean, it's not just Indian cuisine. Any cuisine that's not that's not yours, your own. or it's yeah. something that you're not you know like comfortable with you tend to always have those fear factors coming off like, am I going to do it right? Is it worth the time, the effort, the money? And so I think the masalas was the start for that to say like, hey, you don't have to have 15 spices in your cabinet. We're going to simplify it. We're going to do the proportions. Here you go. Use them. It was great when we put them out. And then I've Always had people either on social media or people that know me or however reach out and say, but how do I use it? They smell wonderful, but I don't know what to do. And so that's where the book came from. And I'm like, wait a minute. I use them at home every day because now I don't want to grind a whole blend together. I just pull one of my jars out and I'll just put two spoons of this. And so that's where this book came from. So it's basically like 34 recipes with spices, with 
Some of them don't have the masalas, a majority of them have it. And it was basically my way of saying, I'm going to show you how I use the masalas at home for my everyday cooking, for my entertaining, for, you know, when my kids call me or my niece calls me and says, how do I make the dal? And I'm like, we've written this down 20 times. I'm just going to put it in a book now so you don't have to keep calling me. And that's the intention (laughs) to keep it simple. There are so many amazing, beautiful cookbooks out there. And I just feel that when someone's not used to it and they open that and they look at the recipe with like you have six or seven spices that you have to do, people tend to get fearful. People tend to get intimidated. People feel overwhelmed. And I'm trying with this book. I just kept it to very few recipes. 35 recipes, I think, is amazing because you can mix and match them. You can make it. It's like a jigsaw puzzle you're putting together with how you're feeling for the evening, whether you want to go simple, you want to do, you know, more. Um, and just do it. Just open your heart, open your mind. And that's why where the love and like you said, your PR tip for the week, just love. And you know that when you're cooking and if you're just cooking a soup or you're putting just beans on the on the stove if you're smiling at it and you're happy and you're coming from a calm place it tastes so much better and so i'm hoping that my masalas with them being ready and now some recipes can get people at least started to get them out of their mindset or the mind block of indian food is hard it's not it's not i love that and yes my tip today um, was inspired by you. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, um, so I'm so yeah, happy. I'm so happy. Yeah, no, with love and do everything with love. From that's what I get listening to you today, especially like just act with love. Like let that love, you know, to lead you. And speaking of love, actually, so your your co-author was um, Jacqueline Raposo. Yeah, and I know Jacqueline from from as a writer, and she's amazing. But she had a show in Heritage Radio Network called yes. Love Bites, and I was and a we guest were on, on it. Too. And we were on it too. Floyd and I were. I on was it on as it. Well. About, I looked back at the title of our episode, and it was called "Why It's Awesome Being Single." How <laughs> cool! <laughs> I'm still single, by the way, and that was in 2016. So we'll see. I mean, love. I'm not. I'm not anti love, by the way. If anyone out there, <laughs> no. So, but it comes, um, it comes. I feel we define ourselves with relationships, and I feel like we do boundaries, and and love is just so ever present right whatever it is it's there and Jacqueline is that love that came to me she came to me and it's strange because you said that for her I was Floyd's wife all those years and we did a trip together uh, to Mexico that Floyd was doing events at and she came along to write about it and she and I just hit it off and we kept in touch. She's been to our home. I've cooked for her. Um, and at that point, she had said, I would love to do a cookbook with the two of you, with Floyd and you, where 
um, he can do it his way and then you do it your way. And then I could be the one that's going to say, oh, it, you know, like it was just ideas. And this was our thing that we always said she and I would do a cookbook together. And then when this came up, when Floyd passed, she reached out to me and she said, you know, I'm here for you for whatever you need. And, you know, she just held my hand through all of it. Um, when the masalas were released, she was part of all the work that was being done to set up the website to do. She's done it all with me holding my hand. And so when the when we decided to do the book, I was like, Jacqueline, it seems like this is how our book's going to come together after all these years. We put it out to the universe like six, seven years ago, not knowing how it was going to happen. And we landed doing this together. Wow. I love it. And um, yeah, it's um, it's a beautiful friendship and partnership and um, a lot of love, a lot of love. Um, so uh, before we take a break, let me ask you my questions from my last guest. So on episode 368, I had on Brad Metzger, the founder of Brad Metzger Restaurant Solutions and the founder and producer of the LA Chef Conference, which just took place two days ago, and I'm actually in Los Angeles right now because I went to the conference, um, and it was amazing. More for that coming up on a future episode. Um, and also on my show, I had on Sherry Yard, the chef of uh, and pastry chef. She's known, um, worked for Wolfgang Puck for a long time, um, and she has Bakery by the Yard in Los Angeles, and she was at the conference as well making some delicious um, chocolate desserts. So my questions for you are, first from Brad, why isn't there an incredible upscale, fast, casual Indian chain like Chipotle? Because he feels it would be conducive to that format. That's there, a question. There is. So that's, you know, that's, well, I didn't want on the show. I was going to say there's, I know of Indie Kitsch. Yeah, the, there are a couple. There are a few. Okay. I think the big thing, Sherry, with this is this is the time for Indian food. Three, four, five years ago, people were still not ready for Indian food the way they are today. There's been a shift. There's been a mindset shift amongst all Americans um, to accept Indian food more mainstream other than saying I like the flavor and I'm going to eat it once a month or I'm going to celebrate some occasion with Indian food and it's becoming more mainstream of I'm hungry I want Indian um, because otherwise I mean at least for the you know in the 80s and 90s it was like it was easier to go to Italian or French food or you know want pizza or want just Chinese food for that every day. But Indian food is getting its space and its time in America now. And there will be, I'm sure there are people that are working on it. Floyd was one of them that had, I even have a menu written down of what we were going to do. Uh, I have it sitting with me. Okay. But I know it, I know it will, I know it will yeah. happen because we literally were looking for spaces um, we did menus, we did ideas of, you know, things because that was his mindset. He's like, 
Mexican flavors are so similar to Indian flavors and people are, you know, happy eating that in this format. And I don't see why we can't do it. We can do it. And we clearly had this vision. And I know there will be so many of these amazing, talented Indian chefs that are looking at it. But I think what sometimes becomes a roadblock is um, investment, getting money to get it going, because people are happier to put money into other cuisines, not so much towards South Asian food, which I think it's changing. I think it's changing. And I am excited. And I know that what we're going to see in the next, not even 10 years, but in the next two, four, five years, where Indian food goes and South Asian food in general goes in America, it's it's going to come. Brad, it's coming. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, yeah. I hear you and I don't disagree. Um, yeah. Okay. And the second question from Sherry is, from your point of view, being restaurant adjacent from the time Tabla opened until now, how have spices in general and the American palate changed or evolved over the past 20 years? She's added on, um, what's popular now? Where do you see the trend going? And she also mentioned how much she adored Floyd and tragedy. Sherry was just so sweet. Every time I saw her when I was with Floyd, it was like, it wasn't just Floyd that got her love. I got it too. So I'm grateful for it. Um, she's just such a sweet, amazing, amazing person. She really and is. I saw I her know. one day and it was like I hadn't seen her in years and it was just beautiful. It just feels like you didn't her. miss a beat, right? She's just yeah. so kind yeah. and so real. Yeah, amazing. Um, from where, when we came to the States in 88, um, I remember having to go to Jackson Heights, Queens to buy spices, you know, for the house as everyday stuff because it wasn't available. There were like just immigrant pockets of like wherever there were South Asians, Indians living is where you could find a grocery store. Now it's 20 minutes down the street from me. There is, you know, Edison and I can go in New Jersey and I can like, I'm back in India. So things have evolved because the immigrant population has increased where there's more spending power. People have, just for us, as just South Asians, as Indians, we're spending, we're, we're absorbing more of it. So because of that, the demand's grown and, and there's more out there. Also for mainstream America, um, travel, internet. Um, you know, flavor profiles, meeting more people, whether you're at work or in social settings, you tend to find like when Tabla opened, um, at least upstairs, Tabla was more of a celebration space that people went to, or it was like we were taking someone out, you know, carpet dining, or they were spending money, you know, it was, people were going for that. The bread bar downstairs, there was more of that, the younger generation of college kids or, you know, people that had just were Indian and had the money in their pockets that were proud to bring their friends in to say, hey, come try this hip new place out. But the general concept at that time was like Indian food is greasy, it's spicy, it's hot. So there was not a lot of that. 
if you fast forward to where we're sitting today, I mean, look at what Unapologetic Foods is doing with, you know, the amount yeah. of... That's what I was thinking. Bringing mainstream, yeah, the maca, masala wala. They're doing, you know, rowdy rooster. They're working on a kebab place. So what they've done, which I love, Mm-hmm. Is they've taken Indian food and not put it in just one bucket because in India you go from every state, from one state to the other, the regional food is so different in every spot that you go to. And they're actually using that and they're trying to build a whole, literally, you know, like I would say they're doing this whole kaleidoscope of colors for us in cuisine where they're showing everybody that Indian food is not just tikka masala and palak paneer. And that process has changed where people realize that there is more to Indian food than just the three things that we have been exposed to. And that's what's coming up and it's just going to just keep getting better. I agree. And on that Note, let's take a little break. Uh, We will come back. We'll play my speed round. We'll talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience in the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Barca Cardoz. She is a culinary entrepreneur who's the founder of Cardoz Legacy LLC. She's also the co-creator of FC Plus B&B Masalas, and she has a new book out, With Love and Masalas, Everyday Indian Recipes from My Kitchen to Yours. So, Barca, uh, it's time for my speed round. Um, what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. You okay. ready? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Eat in at home or, or eat out at a restaurant? Eat in. Indoor dining or al fresco dining? I'll say al fresco. Okay. How about wine, beer? Cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Cocktail. Cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) It was well with Indian cuisine. Okay. Um, How about tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates, always. 
<laughs> communal table or chef's counter? I would do communal table. Okay. How about tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Okay, a few more. Tikka masala or korma chicken? Korma chicken. <laughs> I don't know. I could I could have named a lot of things in that. In that I could one. have done both, actually. <laughs> I, <laughs> this I, one, I think I both. Would probably, I would probably do korma chicken, too, over the two. Yeah. But no one's asking yeah. me. Um, yeah. Okay, cooking for someone or being cooked for? Cooking for someone. I figured you were going to say that. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert, dessert, dessert. <laughs> <laughs> And the last one's Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. Ta-da! That's the game. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> that was fun. I always like hearing people's answers. Um, they're always different. Okay, so for industry news this week, I just picked out an article that was in the New York Times, and it's entitled, The Real End of David Chang's Momofuku Co. Happened Years Ago. The revolutionary tasting menu restaurant eventually came to resemble the fine dining titans it tried to dethrone. And this was by Pete Wells. Um, I mean, I don't, I mean, the, I don't know, this title is a little, not harsh, but I don't, I feel um, David Chang is someone who's like totally shook up our industry and from his first Momofuku noodle bar in 2004 to Sambar in 2006. And now this is talking about Co, which opened in 2008 as a like new style of fine dining, kind of got rid of the, you know, white tablecloths and right. made everything more casual, but still like a really high level of food. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just think it's, um, they announced that Momofuku Co is, it said they're pausing operations and it's not really clear what that means, except um, it's not necessarily a goodbye. We're closing, but they're, I think they're going to do something else in the space. So I look forward to seeing whatever they do. I've always been a fan of Ko, of David Chang and everything he's done. Um, so I just thought it's, you know, a timely article um, just talking about changes in the industry. I don't know if you have any thoughts on it. I, I, I saw the article and I just feel like we're in a space of so much changing, right, in our business. Uh, we were already in a space of kind of unhealthy space, I should say, before 2020. Um, the business model doesn't seem to work very well um, financially. And then also with demands, like everybody's changing, things are moving. Um, I feel that we have to, we're changing with times and after COVID and with, you know, with everything that happens, sometimes maybe he's looking to refresh it. Maybe he's looking for a whole new way of looking at stuff, looking at the dining space, looking at... Um, with labor, with costs, with with also, I, I'm I'm finding that the more I go out now, that I've started to go out to eat now, I'm looking for a whole different experience. I'm not looking for 
high end. I'm not looking for that fine dining space. It's great once in a while, but I'm also looking for more fun. And maybe, maybe, you know, there's so many more South Asian experiences out there that are more vibrant and fresh with younger chefs coming up with new ideas that they've, you know, learned from the older guard and are taking it to a whole new space. I see that in Indian food. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it. Every cuisine's changing. And I feel like we, we need to have that space. And I, I don't, you know, I love David Chang. I love his food. I, like you said, for us, you know, we'd walk in then the amount of love and respect that came out of him for Floyd all through our relationship with him. I respect him for his food. And I'm just excited to see. And I'm just hoping that it turns into something better because New York needs David Chang's food. Um, it's great. But I just, I feel people are allowed to change. People are allowed to grow. And that's probably what's happening. Yeah, 100%. I agree. I mean, I look forward to seeing what they do next. And um, as I said, I've always been a fan. I know David is also, he's he's expanded or grown his um, home division, I guess. You know, consumer products is something he's been working on over the right. past few years. And I think that's really taken off. Um so I know, you know, he's got that going on. I mean, it announced, he announced that Momofuku Sambar in New York City was closing and that it was announced a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, Momofuku is like, as it really was a game changer in our industry. And I think everyone, you know, he, he, he earned a lot of respect from, from fellow chefs, from diners and, um, yeah, so I look and I've had I had really I had a couple really amazing meals at Co. Um, it's a very you know it had moved spaces. It started at a very tight <laughs> tight. I space remember there. that space. I remember getting in there. And Floyd was so excited that we got two spots <laughs> and we got to eat yeah. there. And it was yeah, like, you've never seen anything like that. And that's what I'm saying. These are trailblazers, right? They really is. Yeah. yeah, trailblazers, and and to have the guts, and and that that power within you at thirty to say I'm just going to do what I need to do because I believe in me. That's that's powerful. That's powerful. Extremely. Yeah, and I mean I'm fortunate that I took a trip. I guess it was ten years ago. I went to Australia and New Zealand. And I went to uh, Sayobo, which is was David Chang's restaurant in Sydney. That um, I think after he moved after that trip, or after they moved the space from Co to the new space, and the kitchen design was similar, uh, like this beautiful um, open kitchen with uh, that kind of just like 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 almost like three walls of a of a square going around it. Um, right. So there wasn't a bad seat and you were just like that design I saw, he had that in, in Sydney and it was, that was an amazing restaurant that experience I had. And then at Co in New York, I went a, a few times and um, just a very special restaurant. So uh, yeah, we'll see the what they do next. Yeah. And even he's the not fact going that. Anywhere. He's not going yeah, anywhere. Well, he's, he's just, just going to morph into something new and more power to him. 
And this is the fa- the fact also, I was going to say, like, okay, so Pete Wells, like, big feature article on this, New York Times, like, because it he he's always gotten since the beginning, I think like he gets the media attention, I think for a good reason. I mean, there was a point where I used to joke and say, if like David Chang sneezed, it would be covered by the media. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he's always gotten a lot of attention for what he's doing and he continues to. So we look forward to seeing what you do next and congratulations on this amazing run as well. Cause as you know, and I know it's very hard to, run restaurants especially in New York City and maintain them for a long time and I maybe you know what I love the fact that he's actually grown into this person that realizes he's got sons that need attention and family time and his personal health and his mental health and making sure he's good I am all for that I applaud that because that shows you that you're not just evolving as a chef but you're evolving as a human being because if you can take care of yourself and your family, you will take care of everyone around you. 100%. I agree. Um, Awesome. Okay. So that was industry news. Now it's time for my solo dining experience. So this week it's at the River Cafe. Here's the rundown. The location, Thames Wharf, Rainville Road in London, England. The concept is an iconic Italian restaurant since 1987. So for more than 30 years, it's been the home, they say, of artists, architects, designers, actors, collectors, writers, activists, and politicians. The owner and chef is Ruth Rogers. Why did I go? Well, I'd never been, and I had to fix that. (laughs) So I was recently in London. I went to this amazing conference in Dublin um, called Food on the Edge, where I did a panel on my new book, Chef Wise, and they had my book there, and it was awesome, and I was, there will be more coming up on my show. I did a lot of interviews there, and I will I will share more about that um, at a future date, um, but on this, so I was um, flying through London, so I decided to stop for a couple days, and um, I met up with my editor, and I had this awesome solo lunch at the River Cafe. Um, It was on Saturday afternoon. Uh, I took the tube over there. I walked over. It's right on the river, hence the name. Um, I had a table outside and it was funny, the weather in London was like, I think throughout my meal, it it changed. It was beautiful. And then and then it, it sprinkled a little bit, some rain, and then, I don't know, the sun came out again. Um, but it was lovely to sit out on the patio. The inside dining room was definitely more like noisy, like in a, in a good energetic way. Um, but I had a very lovely time, uh, alfresco dining. My server was awesome, guided me through the menu and, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So the only th- disappointing thing was Ruth wasn't there, um, because she was traveling. So I didn't get to see her, but, um, next time. So what did I get? So they had complimentary bread. They had focaccia that came out. I ordered, I had sparkling water. Actually, that was complimentary too. Um, I skipped the antipasti. I went straight for primi. I got pasta. I got ravioli di um, zucca with buffalo ricotta, delicious pumpkin, and marjoram butter. And then secondi, I got segoglia al forno, which is the whole Dover sole, wood roasted with parsley and sorrento lemon. I got dessert. I had the chocolate nemesis, and I had an Americano. My take. 
I really love my meal. I mean, the pasta was incredible. I really, I could have licked the plate. I mean, it was, it was one of the best pastas I've had. And that says a lot. Um, the Dover sole was also excellent. It's, you know, it's a lot for a single person to order a whole Dover sole, but my server encouraged me. So I went for it. It had some, some mush, fancy mushrooms, I'd say in greens with it. And it was delicious. And then if you're a chocolate lover like me, the chocolate nemesis is just like an ideal, rich chocolate, delicious dessert. And I love that. I had a couple leftovers I took of that because I didn't finish it. Um, and it was fabulous. So the ambiance, the dining room is like a kind of longish, uh, rectangular shaped room. It's it's a bit minimalistic except and, and white on white, except then there's splashes of color. Like the floor is this royal blue and in the back there's an open kitchen and she has a, a pink oven. And so it's like white on white, but then there's these colors like yellow and and pink and blue that kind of splashes through the space and everything she does from the menu or the, you know, the to go, the, 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 not the container, but the, yeah, the to go thing um, that surrounded my, um, my to go box was like bright colored. So there's, it's, it's fun. Um, Perfect for a leisurely lunch or dinner with friends. Interesting tidbit. So Ruth or Ruthie as, people call her. She has a great podcast called Ruthie's Table Four. And I realized I forgot to ask when I was there, which table was number four. <laughs> but um, she interviews regulars at the rest at the restaurant. And these are celebrity regulars like David Beckham and Stanley Tucci and Al Gore and Gwyneth Paltrow. And I started listening to her podcast in the pandemic. And it's a really great interview. She asks each guest to read a recipe at the beginning, which is fun. Um, and she has a book out, a new book called with, um, the river cafe lookbook. And it's with my same publisher, Fiden. Um, and every page is a different color, like a rainbow. Um, and also I heard that Massimo Batura was coming into town right after my trip. And he has a new book out, uh, with Fiden, my publisher called slow food, fast cars. And she was going to be interviewing him. So I believe that's probably up now. So I look forward to listening to that personal fun fact. Back in November, she was in New York. She did a one-on-one conversation with Martha Stewart about her book, and I was there. I, I didn't get to meet her personally, but it was a really cool conversation that they had together talking all about her book. Okay, so the cost of the meal was 125 euro. That is including a 12.5% service charge. Um, would I go back? Absolutely. And their website's rivercafe.co.uk and Instagram, the River Cafe London. Um, there you go. Um, Barca, have you have you been to the River Cafe? <laughs> no, and why didn't you invite me to go with you? I'm drooling, listening to all this food. It sounds so amazing. That's going to be on my list the next time I go to London. Next time. Yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's like I knew of it and I, it was kind of always on my list to go, but it is outside the, like the main part of London where I guess most of the tourists would be, even though London's big, like New York, um, it's over by the river. So I think you really have to make a, you know, it's a destination, um, right. it's not that hard to get to, but it's worth it. Oh, sounds so delicious. I yeah. sounds so delicious. Yeah. Something yeah, it was really great. To look forward to. 
Yeah, well, I recommend it, and I'll definitely have to go back um, another time. So, Okay, so it's time for the final question. My next guest is Elizabeth Blau. She's a Las Vegas-based restaurateur and the founder and CEO of the restaurant development company Blau and Associates, which is a firm dedicated to creating world-class hospitality experiences. And she is widely credited for transforming Las Vegas into the world-class culinary destination it is today. She has several restaurants in Las Vegas and Vancouver that she runs with her husband, Chef Kim Cantonwala. And um, I'm really looking forward to chatting with her. So, Barca, can you ask a question for Elizabeth? My question to Elizabeth would be, how do you balance um, relationship and partnerships with your husband at work and at home without it becoming um, difficult? It's a good question. <laughs> I always think about that when there is a couple together. It's like yeah. you bring a work home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Because, I mean, well, I do, as anyone listening to the show knows, and even how I share a solo dining experience, I'm very solo in what I do. But I can't imagine what it's like really to, you know, have a relationship. And then it's like at work and it comes home. And, yeah, it's different. So um, I will find out. And that's the show. Um, thank you so much for joining me. I'm I'm so happy that I've gotten to know you better over the past few years. And I feel very lucky that, you know, we've formed a little friendship and that I'm seeing everything that you're doing is it's amazing. And I, I just wish you the best and sending you lots of love. Sherry, thank you so much. And congratulations on your book. I should have said that sooner. But um, it's amazing. It's amazing what you do every day. And I am so, so grateful for our friendship. Like you said, you know, we met under circumstances that don't seem perfect. But you know what? There's never perfection in anything. And the fact that we got to meet, it was meant to be. And I'm thankful for it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me today. Me too. Thank you for joining me and thank you for saying all that. And yes, wishing you all the best and more more fabulous things to come. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So my guest today has been Barca Cardoz. She's a culinary entrepreneur. She's the founder of Cardoz Legacy LLC. She's the creator or the co-creator of FC plus B&B Masalas. And she has a new book out, With Love and Masalas, Everyday Indian Recipes from My Kitchen to Yours. Get the book, check it out, get her masalas, go and you can find out more at cardozlegacy.com and on Instagram, she's at bcardoz, at cardozlegacy and at burlap and barrel. On social, you can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are bayerpublicrelations.com, sherrybayer.com and allintheindustry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Check out my new book, ChefWise, Life Lessons from Leading Chefs Around the World by Fiden. It's available wherever books are sold. Thanks to my engineer today, Armin. Thanks again to Barca. And thanks to our awesome publicist, Daisy. I'm your host and producer and author, Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week with a new show. 
Hope you'll tune in then. And thank you as always for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.